This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Next up, we have an interview that David and I did with Hugh McElhenney, a pro football Hall of Famer who was part of the million-dollar backfield with the San Francisco 49ers when a million dollars was a million dollars. Hugh McElhaney. You went to Washington for college, but you grew up in L.A. How did you end up at Washington? Uh, they pay me the most money. <laughs> <laughs> How much did you get back then? Uh, I... I can't really remember. My wife, uh, we just got married uh, March 19th, 1949, and, um, no, excuse me, 19, God, what is it, 19, yeah, March 1949, and uh, her, her father uh, wouldn't, uh, my wife's father wouldn't, <laughs> Wouldn't okay the marriage because I didn't have a job. I just got out of high school, junior college. And uh, anyway, I had an outstanding year at Compton JC and the Huskies, the University of Washington, uh, uh, propositioned me to uh, go up to school. And uh, they made it possible for me to provide for my wife and I and uh, get a college education. So. Uh, I went to the University of Washington. You had an offer, I believe, uh, was it Southern Cal, to mow the lawn for about $65 a month or so. Oh, that's right. I, I went to SC on an extension. I lasted two months, and my job was uh, to water the, the quad with a Trojan horse, is uh, in the center of the quad, and uh, it's flowers, and I had to water that three times a day. Well, I did that for two months, but I never got my 65 bucks, and that's when I quit. And I went to Compton, J.C. How surprising was it that Washington came up with uh, a, a sum that, that could get you to, to go up there to Seattle? Well, uh, I, I don't know how I got the money, but it, I got a check. It was never signed by the same person each month. Uh had a very... Uh, I, uh, my first job, uh, I was still a... I turned 21, and uh, I worked at the racetrack as a ticket taker. And then um, my last... Uh, Two summers, I worked for Rainier Brewery uh, as a public relations, a goodwill uh, person to enhance uh, grocery stores and bars and restaurants to uh, use Rainier beer. So, did you get? So, you got paid in college to drink beer. I beg your pardon. You got paid in college to drink beer. Well, I, I, that's right. I got. I guess you can put it that way. I sampled the beer. Right. I uh, remember the most in charge of the quality control. Well, there was one. They they put me down on uh, on First Avenue, one of the first uh, assignments they gave me, and uh, First Avenue in Seattle uh, was. Um, uh, I guess a low-income type area, 
And so I go in <clears throat> to the bar and introduce myself and and uh, <clears throat> say, uh, "Can I buy you a beer?" And why don't you set this <clears throat> buy everybody a beer? So I they give me I think I, they gave me a hundred dollars uh, to buy the beers and and to influence some people to buy Rainier, you know to ask for Rainier beer and. Uh, I think I made 10 stops along there. I never had a beer myself, but uh, when I was through, I came back uh, and uh, uh, back to the office and, and gave them $100 back. I, <laughs> they, they, I, I didn't have to spend 100 bucks, but anyway, I ended up keeping the 100 bucks after it, after I gave it back to them, they gave the money back to me. So it kind of went like that, all different ways. What was it like playing at Washington University back then? Well, uh, they had a new coach, uh, Howie O'Dell. Uh, and um, I don't know, it was just like uh, going to any other uh, school or any other football program. Um they treated me very well. Um, it was um, practices were very difficult. Uh, it seemed like uh, our practices uh, were always on muddy fields. It was never on a very seldom on a dry field. <clears throat> but it's amazing. Uh, I don't remember really playing a rainy game, rainy day game uh, the three years I played at the University of Washington. The only rainy days I had on a football field was at the University of California and um, Southern California. So anyway. You had a pretty fair quarterback back uh, with you in Washington. Yes, sir. Don Heinrich. What was he like? He was um, kind of a quiet uh, um, type guy, uh, a very confident uh, individual. He was, uh, uh, for a young age, he was very um, uh, intelligent uh, about the game of football. He knew how to handle it, um, and it certainly proved after he was, uh, he had to go into and of course, he separated his shoulder my my senior year. He separated his shoulder so he didn't play. He um, and then he goes into yeah. I, I kind of forget. It's been such a long time. But he he was an All American, uh, 1950 and 52. He had a separated shoulder in 51. But he was an All-American in 1950 and 51. He was just a natural. He was a, a good thinker, uh, never got raveled. Uh, he was uh, uh, just a solid type uh, quarterback. Uh, but I would prove that uh, as uh, G-Mini Christmas Eve, he ended up coaching in the pro ranks for some, what, 20, 22, 25 years. When you got drafted, what was going through your mind? Did you think, I want to play professional football, or did you basically want to get on with your life? I could have I could have uh, gone into pro football back in 1948, 
1989, uh, after uh, uh, I finished Compton JC that one year, uh, the Los Angeles Ram, Hampton Poole, <clears throat> didn't talk to me, called my dad and wanted to meet my father. So Hamp came to the house and I was there and he offered uh, me a contract at that time. Now I'm still a minor, so that's why he was talking to my father. And uh, they offered me uh, at that time $10,000 to uh, play play for the Rams. And uh, of course my dad was very flattered and all that, but uh, he, he turned me down. He, he turned uh, Hampool down. You know, he's too young. Uh, he can go to school. He's still young. He can go to school, but he wouldn't let me play. So the Rams was the team I always wanted to play for. In high school, I <clears throat> I would be a ticket taker at the Los Angeles Coliseums for the Rams, for the, uh, Los Angeles Dons, uh, UCLA SC games, and so uh, I was really attached to the Rams. So and I was disappointed. Yeah. And ten thousand dollars was a, was an awful lot of money back then too. Yeah, I didn't realize it how much it was, but now I certainly do realize <laughs> it. <laughs> how much did the Forty ers uh, pay you when you got drafted by them? Seven grand. So you had to take a pay cut a couple years later. That's right. And what was the reason for pay, offering less money to you? Because you were a first-round pick, ninth pick in the draft in 52. I was I was the eighth or ninth pick in the first round. Uh, I was hoping the Rams would choose me as, the, as their uh, first choice, but they ended up getting the bonus choice, and they took uh, Wade. Quarterback, I think he was out of Vanderbilt. Uh, I yeah. think. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and and so anyway, um, I, I, it's hard to remember how it all came down. But um, I, I played in the Hula Bowl in '52. No, gosh, I I can't remember. But anyway, it was before. It was um, Frankie Albert. We played in the Hula Bowl, and that's when uh, they picked uh, some 15, 15 college players, uh, outstanding college players in the United States, play against uh, a few of the pros. And um, uh, and I had an outstanding game. And Frankie Albert was the colder quarterback for the Hawaiian team. Yeah. I guess he had an influence. He talked the 49ers in drafting me, and uh, and that's how I got drafted by the 49ers, was the influence that Frankie Albert had uh, with Vic Morabito. I'm looking at that 52 draft, the first round. You had Les Richter, the second pick, Hall of Famer, Ali Madsen, third pick, Hall of Famer, and then you were the ninth pick, Hall of Famer, and then Frank Gifford won 11th. So out of the right. f- first uh, 11 picks, you had four Hall of Famers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we had some pretty good, pretty good players. Yeah. And then round two, the first pick was Gino Marchetti. Gino, God, was he a great? Yes, USF. Yeah, he was. Uh, USF had a lot of. Uh, 
good football players come out that you're uh, didn't make necessarily all pro, but they sure got they were placed all over the league. Uh, uh, many of the players. It didn't take long for you to make an impression in the NFL. I think the first time in a regular season game, you get the ball, you go 40 yards for a touchdown. And then also in that game, you sort of made a rookie mistake by fielding a punt so deep in your own territory and uh, returned 96 yards for a touchdown against the Chicago Bears. What, what was that game like, if you remember? I, I know. I just came back from the college all-star game in Chicago. Uh, myself and uh, Bob Toniff. Toniff was their 49er second draft choice. And we got, and we came back, I think we played the game on Friday night. And um, anyway, Saturday we, we came back to San Francisco and they were playing the Cardinals, I think it was. The 49ers were playing the Cardinals at Can- Candlestick Park. And um, I don't know, they suited, we suited up. They gave us a uniform, suited us up, and we just kind of watched. Uh, I was watching the game, and I think it was somewhere around the fourth quarter. Frankie Albert kind of called a timeout, and he came over to Buckshaw and says, put me in. And I was standing there, and Buck says, he doesn't know the plays. He says, that's okay. I have a play for him. So I go into the game, and just like old Sandlot football, Frankie got down on on his knees in the huddle, and he drew it on what every player should do on this particular play. And it happened to be a 49 pitch, and... uh, it went 38, 40 yards for a touchdown. Um, the Chicago Bear game, that was my rookie year. Um, hey, I scored five touchdowns in that game, and three were called back, two were called back. And um, I broke the cardinal rule. You don't handle a punt within your own 10-yard line. You take the chances of it going in the end zone for a touchback. But I don't, I don't know. I just caught it, and it happened to work out to go the distance for, for six points. What did your coach say when you got back to the sideline? Um, I don't recall anybody saying anything to me. <laughs> I, I, I do know the end, the end of the game, um, you know, in the locker room, uh, they gave me the game ball for outstanding play for that day. Now, was it at that point that Frankie Albert gave you the nickname The King? That was, that's when they threw me the, the um, in the locker room after the game, this is back in Chicago, um, we, you know, after a game, everybody kind of huddles around and the coach has a few words to say and so forth. And Frankie, uh, has a game ball, and he says, Hugh, we chose you as player of the game. Joe, you're still the Jet. Hugh, you're now the king, king of the halfbacks. That's how he nicknamed me. And when you say Joe the Jet, you're talking about Joe Perry, another tremendous running back. Oh, boy, was he. 
So so you guys were both in the backfield. Who was the blocker? Did you block for each other? You know, I I had some. Oh yeah, we blocked for each other. I think he blocked more for me. Um, I didn't have that many blocking assignments. Uh, the only blocking assignment that I really remember having is when it, um, would be on uh, pass plays. Uh, I would be responsible for guys like uh, Gino Marchetti, uh, you know, uh, blocking, uh, you know, protect the passer. I don't remember having many blocking assignments as a running back in high school, college, or as a 49er. Well, the story is you had... I don't, I, I don't recall any yeah. place where I specifically had to block somebody, block the linebacker or whatever. You had 9-6 speed in the 100. I, I, I think that sort of speed generally don't end up uh, having to block a whole lot. How how early in your in your life did you know that you were faster than anybody else on the field? Um, well, I I don't know if I was a nine six sprinter. I was a uh, uh, in high school. I held a world's record fourteen second flat in the high hurdles, and I think I had was. I think I had the world's record. I can't remember in the low hurdles, two twenty-yard lows at twenty-one-six, uh, something like that. But uh, I never ran the hundred. I anchored a relay, high hurdles, low hurdles, and broad jump. But uh, I can't say I was ever timed at nine-six and in a hundred-yard dash. Did you ever think about competing in the fifty-two Olympics? Competing what? In the Olympics? Um, coach never asked me to do that. Because you're one of your teammates that Compton was in the Olympics. <clears throat> one of my teammates? Yeah, Compton. Sim Innes? Oh, Sim Innes, yes. Yeah, right. Shot um, javelin. Not the javelin, discus. Yeah, we went to FC. Right. But I didn't run track at Compton. How do they not? How do they not recruit you when you're that fast to run track? Well, I I think the University of Washington thought that, that uh, I would participate in track, but I was never a real smart guy. Uh, I had a, all I could do is to get through school and play football. I, if I if I ran track and and football, I I probably wouldn't have lasted three years at the University of Washington. I read somewhere that you had to take a pay cut when you got signed by the 49ers because you were making more money in college. Well, I did make more money in college. <laughs> I did. Three years I was at school, my wife and I, her working, and I, I made more than $7,000 a year. It all turned out pretty nicely, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it was great, yeah. But, you know, uh, they were checking me every year. Uh, the, the conference would come and, uh, you know, where did I get my car? Uh, uh, I had my. <laughs> There's another story. <clears throat> um, the Los Angeles Coliseum relays in high school, my senior year. Uh, won the high hurdles, low hurdles, or broad jump, and I think our team uh, took fourth in the relay. And uh, 
and it was the last meet of the year. And my mom and dad is waiting for me to come out of the Coliseum. And uh, my mom, of course, gives me a big hug and a kiss. And my dad, he just looks at me. He was a small guy. He was only five, five, six. He looks up at me and smiled and went to shake my hand. And in his hand was the keys to my mom's car, the Dodge. It was a 1948 Dodge. <laughs> and uh, so supposedly he gave he gave me the the Dodge, but the thing is, they never uh, took it out of my mother's name. And when Peg and I drove up to uh, Seattle to enter school, you know, I, <laughs> I was getting parking tickets, but you know, and I, I never thought much about them. And uh, anyway, I never paid for a parking ticket. My mom was getting them. They were mailing them to my mother. <laughs> and so they paid my parking tickets for two years. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was probably cheaper than the college tuition. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you, were part of the, you were part of the Million Dollar Backfield. How did that nickname come about? I have no idea. I certainly, I was just a player, and they, uh, um, I, I, and they see they brought John Henry Johnson. He was up in Canada. He was playing for Vancouver or somebody up in Canada, I think, in '52, and they brought him down in '53, and so it was uh, Y. H. Little, Joe Perry. Uh, John Henry Johnson and myself. Uh, I think John Henry only played with us for two years, and they traded him to where did they trade to Detroit or Baltimore. I forget. They uh, they traded him away. So the million dollar backfield was uh, <clears throat> was nineteen fifty three fifty four, and of course over the years we all became a Hall of Famers. But the story was, as I understand it, the million-dollar backfield was named because the 49ers were for sale in 1952, as I understand. And with Y.A. and Joe and John Henry and myself, we start filling the stands. And so, therefore, the Vitmar uh, <clears throat> Beater uh, decided not to sell, and he kept the club. So I guess the million-dollar backfield came about by how they considered us filling the stands, and uh, that means selling tickets and so forth. So that's kind of how it came around, I think. So it wasn't because you guys reached paid a million dollars? Oh, Christ, no. We didn't make a hundred thousand between the four of us. <laughs> We didn't make fifty thousand between the four of us. With all that talent, how did you guys not win a championship? I I, I hate to say it because I have there's not many of them alive anymore. But uh, we just never had a good defense. We could score on everybody, but we had trouble keeping people from scoring on us. But uh, I mean, our, you know, offensively, Jesus. Uh, you know, for 12 games, I never carried the ball more than 15 times in a ball game. 
as a, as a 49er. Um, you know, today, uh, all these records that are being broke, um, geez, they're carrying the ball 20, 25 times a game. Well, their percentage is the more you carry, the more opportunity you're going to have to, you know, make yards. So the biggest problem, I think, for it was Y.A. Tittle. How does he share it? How does he share Joe carrying the ball, me carrying the ball, and John Henry carrying the ball? So that's, that must have been a tough job for YA. We never, I don't remember us ever talking about it, but if I was a quarterback, I would, I would be thinking that, God damn, who's productive today? Now, you know, um, tough for a quarterback to make decisions with those three, with three guys like us in the backfield. Because I'm looking at your stats here. I mean, like you said, you didn't get that many attempts. You had 112 your second year, and you, the highest total he was 185, but you never came close to 185 other than 56 when you got to 185. Yeah, I know. Yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and you uh, got a receiver, R.C. Owens, who, who, and, you know, you? you had R.C. Owens come into the league in 57, and he and the Tittles were sort of the innovators of the alley oop pass. Yeah, that was an accident. That <laughs> was an accident. Y.A. will tell you this, too. I think it was the first alley-oop, but how it came about, uh, I think it was only maybe good for 20 yards for a touchdown. The ball slipped out of Y.A.'s hand and went high in the air, and oop, out jumped uh, uh, Jack Christensen and uh, Yale Larry, I believe, and caught the ball. But that's how it came about. It was a fluke ball that went up in the air and oop, out, <clears throat> out jumped the other two players. So they wouldn't then start practicing that uh, during the week. You know, so because Oop was such a, he could jump high and, and had good hands. When you went, you ended up going to the Giants in '63. You became teammates with Frank Gifford. Did Frank give you a hard time because you guys should have been teammates a lot earlier at USC? Back in those days, Frank and I became very, very, very good friends. Um, let me see. Okay, Mark. <clears throat> Our June, see, our, before we went into pro football, we, he was going with the Giants and I was going with the, uh, uh, 49ers. We rented, he and Maxine were married and we just, gosh sakes, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the numbers together, but anyway, we we rented an apartment in the same complex, and um, uh, Peggy just had a baby. We had Karen. We just had Karen, and two weeks later, Maxine had. Oh gosh, I think his name is Jeff, and we were in the same complex, and so we became very close. Um, we'd get together for lunch and dinner and potluck and that sort of thing for three or four months. Uh, we've come in to play uh, the college all-star game 
uh, Frank and I roomed together. Um, and then we played in the uh, East-West Shrine game. Uh, we roomed together there. Um, uh, and then when I went back to New York, my God, he he took me in like uh, uh, I roomed with him uh, during training camp and uh, with the Giants. And uh, we were friends there. He'd come to our house for dinner. We'd go to his house for dinner. Um, and then, of course, when I left New York, um, we all went different ways. And we more or less lost contact. And the only time we've really seen each other uh, since those days is uh, going back to the enshrinement at the Hall of Fame. And he doesn't make it every year, and I certainly don't either. So, uh, But Frank and I, I consider him a, a great friend, and he's always been very kind to me. He's always spoke very well of my behalf. Uh, uh, he, he's just a great guy, and uh, I, I knew when I was uh, uh, rooming with him uh, with the Giants, uh, he would be practicing doing things for his radio show. He had a talk radio show at that time, and uh, see, that's back in 1983, I think it is. So, no, Frank, Frank and I, I consider him a good friend. Yeah. And the quarterback on that giant team was another familiar uh, face in Y.A. Tittle. Y.A. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, Y.A. Tittle. Did, did that make it, the transition to the Giants easier for you? Um, I never thought much of about it. I never saw Y.A. too much just during the football season. Um, and with the 49ers, uh, our wives and everything were very close. Uh, um, went on vacations together, or did a lot of things together. But back in New York, YA was so busy. My God, he was so popular. He was so busy. Uh, you know, I just didn't, uh, didn't see him off, you know, uh, other than on the football field. I hope you never went out to dinner with Bob Sinclair because he would have made you eat that raw meat. Bob, Bob the geek. The geek. Uh, he's, yeah, he's. Uh, <laughs> he, that's true. He liked his raw meat. There was uh, a couple of times I heard him tell the chef uh, on the road, uh, "Put the meat on. Just put it on. Flip it over. Just take the chill off of, please." <laughs> He said he was eating raw liver, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those offensive linemen, I think they have a couple of screws loose to do that. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't like raw meat. Not even hamburger. <laughs> what was that 63 championship game like against the Bears? That was a really disappointing. Gosh, I can't remember it. Too much, uh, with the with the exception that uh, I took the second half kickoff, and I think I got to midfield, and I made a move, and I slipped in the ice, and I think the defensive back was Taylor. He he nailed me, but uh, he was the last guy, and uh, if I would have got by him, it would have been six points, and. That probably would have been the difference in the game. 
I think we lost what uh, fourteen to ten, something like that. Right, right. What was it like when you left the Forty ers to go to an expansion team, the Minnesota Vikings? I wasn't. Uh, a matter of fact, I was very unhappy. But Red Hickey, uh, uh, I <laughs> I can't really say on the on the air what I think <laughs> of him. Uh, he was the worst coach um, I was ever around. Like today, uh, they could sue him for harassment. The way he treated some players, it was just terrible. The way he talked to them and so forth. And uh, uh, I was supposedly considered one of his favorites, but uh, it, it we just didn't, didn't get we didn't get along. We didn't get along, and so I was very happy. I, the only thing I was disappointed, I thought maybe I still had a, a. I knew I still had a couple of good years in me if I hadn't if I didn't get hurt to be with a, a contending team. But to sell me for fifteen thousand uh, dollars that was a real insult to me, and that was Red Hickey that did that. Well, you, you obviously did have something left because you, you made the Pro Bowl in 61 with the Vikings. And right. uh, Norm Van Brocklin was your coach. What was he like? He, he was a tough coach. But I, I liked the Dutch. Uh, we played in, uh, you know, some all-star games. And he, he, he's, he's, he was a tough coach on everybody. But he was real fair, and uh, um, he had a. If he didn't like something you did uh, without your helmet on, he'd come by and flick you in the head with his fingers. <laughs> and uh, but he, he was. I, I really learned more from Dutch going with him uh, in our in our meeting scouting for to play uh, how we're going to play. Uh, the team coming up and so forth. I learned a heck of a lot more from him, and I understood more, I think for the first time, I really understood what my position was supposed to be on a football field. It seemed like always before, you know, memorize a number, go to the direction, and let your instincts take you wherever you want to go. Well, learning from um, Dutch and how he taught uh, the game, uh, I felt I learn more there was more things I could do and to better myself and help the team Dave compared you to a similar running style to Barry Sanders and Gail Sayers but I don't know how they compare you to them you came before them <laughs> well uh, you, you tell me you're the media <laughs> yes uh, <clears throat> Well, I, I'm not saying this to offend anybody, but uh, when I went into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, um, <clears throat> Cosell came up and shook my hand. He was at Compton JC, you know, a couple of years before I was, a public information director. And he put his arm around and whisper, whispered in my ear, you are, not, you are now the last of the great white hope. What does that tell you? Well, there aren't too many white running backs. Although, although with There's the Vikings, <laughs> there hasn't been any. With the Vikings, uh, there was a young Tommy Mason 
who went well, on to have a fairly fairly decent career. But yeah, but okay. The only, yeah. the only other Hall, tell me. the only he, other Hall of Famer I remember was Larry Zonka. Yeah, he wasn't. Uh, but he wasn't he fast. And I didn't run alike. We did. We didn't run alike. His his running was a lot different than the way I ran. Yeah, no, he was more like an elephant. Yeah, he was a he, he was a, he was the first down type guy. Yeah. Also in on that Viking team was a, a rookie quarterback named Fran Tarkington. Right. Did, yeah. did you tell that he that he was going to be somebody special? Uh, no, I really didn't think much of it that way. Um, yeah, I do. I, I do remember, and it gets get confusing. Um, it was obvious he was a scrambler. He, he was quick on his feet. He wasn't great on straight ahead speed, but he was a good scrambler. Right. And uh, but as I remember, um, I know sticks in my head. Uh, Fran, you got to throw a sideline pass further than thirty yards, and. Uh, Dutchman would have him work out with weights and throwing, developing his arm, you know, just so he could throw the deep ball. Yeah. But he was accurate with the short ball, but you got to throw the ball further than 30 yards. I, I remember that. And certainly, uh, Fran went on and uh, learned how to throw a ball more than 30 yards. <laughs> He was great. I would think Ben Bracken Bracken probably, even as the coach, had the better arm between him and Tarkington. Say that again? I said I would imagine even when Ben Bracken was the coach, he could throw the ball better than Tarkington could. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, see, he was playing for the Eagles in 1960, and he was coaching in 61. So, Yeah. yeah, he still had his arm. When Coso called you the last of the great white hopes, what did you say to him? I don't think I said anything. I was kind of surprised. and uh, But anyway, I took it as a, a compliment and understood what he was telling me. What was he like? Did you know him personally or just casually? Yes. Yeah, we, we, uh, he was terrific. Uh, uh, he, I think he had a great... He had a lot of respect for me. Uh, that's the way I <clears throat> I felt the way he the way he treated me, the way he talked to me, and the way I'd be invited to things. I, he he chose me. It was a 19th Super Bowl uh, at uh, San Francisco for me to toss the coin. Uh, that was him that made that decision. And, uh, of course, I didn't get to toss the coin. I had to tell President Reagan to please toss the coin. Uh, and, but uh, and he, he, he lost. We, um, we didn't talk very much uh, about anything. Uh, when I went to Seattle, and I was hired to try to bring pro football to the city of Seattle, uh, then he couldn't be close to me we'd go we'd go to various meetings and he, he'd look at me but he wouldn't wave or say anything he couldn't have any uh, direct contact with me 
what was your Hall of Fame induction like? What was the emotion that went through on that day? Well, gosh, it was, um, when I look back at my induction, and now we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of, uh, of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, 43 years ago when I went into the hall, I can't remember how many members there must have been, 50 or 60 Hall of Famers at that time. God, we stayed in the motel. My mom and dad were there, my wife and my, my daughters. Uh, it seems like we were scattered all over the place. Uh, uh, it was, I remember being fun because you had time to greet and see the other players are in the Hall of Fame and that are in, going into the Hall of Fame. Today, going back, God almighty, uh, gee, I went back for my 40th anniversary. Uh, I hardly knew anybody. Um, they were all mostly passed away. Uh, There's maybe four or five that I would see that I remembered and played against. And, but... Uh, uh, when I went in the Hall of Fame, it was it was very simple. It was very close uh, and very caring. Uh, today it is. Uh, I mean, it's a big show. It's a big it's a big deal in Canton. And I tell you, the city of Canton they do a fabulous job of handling all of those celebrities, but. Uh, uh, I, I wish I could go back there and experience the first year I went in. And secondly, one thing I disapprove of today is, uh, my God, all these speeches, everybody thinks their brothers, cousins, Uncle Jack, and Bill, and Bob, they go on and on and on. It's obvious that anybody that goes in the Hall of Fame you cannot recognize I've, properly all the people that contributed to your success. And uh, I kind of get blown away when they, all these guys get up there and spend a half hour talking about, uh, to me, a lot of it a bunch of BS. But, uh, that's, that's the only thing that frustrates me now. Is when we went in, we thanked our parents, mom and dad, thank you. Say thank you. <laughs> Why couldn't Cosell talk to you when you wanted to bring a team to Seattle? Was it the NFL telling them to disassociate with you? Oh sure. Oh yeah. You don't. Yeah. Don't show favorites. No favorites. It's strictly a business deal. You got the money. You get the money. Put up the money. That's the only talk that time. Pete Rozelle, I think, talked to. Potential owners, they're talking about money. Can they afford it? What number are you when you went in the Hall of Fame? What number is in your gold jacket? 1970 and then 62s underneath it. So you're the 62nd person that went in the Hall of Fame? I guess so. I didn't know that. <laughs> I wasn't sure. How, how did you come to wear number 39? Uh, Norm Stanley uh, was the had number thirty two with the Forty ers He was an original Forty Nine er, nineteen forty six, seven, eight, nine, and um, uh, the 
they he kept the number and they just gave me 39. I, I didn't say anything. That's okay. Didn't bother me. <laughs> Numbers are number. The only the only living players who've been in the Hall of Fame longer than you, I'm looking, is Chuck Benarek and uh looks like Art Donovan and Charlie Trippy. Charlie Trippy and Donovan are still alive. And who's the other one? Uh Chuck Benarek. Oh yeah, Chuck. Yeah. They're, 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 they've been in longer than I have. Right, they're the only three. Hmm. Well, where are the others? <laughs> they're they're in the Golden Gates. Yeah, that's part of life. Nine eleven. Uh, we were back in Canton. Uh, I was back in Canton playing in their annual golf tournament when nine eleven happened. And my God, here were Tammy Owens, who here's, God bless her, does so much for all of us. 49ers, and more so, I think, in the earlier days. But her job was to get us home, and, you know, everything shut down. Couldn't get an airplane, anything. But she got rented cars. Um, Gail Larry put on, was on a train with uh, uh, down to Dallas. Uh, Pete Peholz uh, was in a limousine. Uh, they rented a limousine to get him home. They all went home different ways. Uh, Dave Wilcox, his uh, wife is uh, very big in travel. She has a travel agency up in Oregon and uh, got him a car and rented. He drove home. Um, and uh, Tom Max, he lives here in Vegas, and uh, Joe Perry was in in Phoenix. And uh, we were the last to leave, and and how we got home was Tammy got I think he was the Chrysler Plymouth dealer in Canton, Akron, uh, his jet, and uh, they flew us home. And that does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on FoxZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. I would like to thank our guest, Playboy Playmate. For September 2013, Brianna Noel and Pro Football Hall of Famer Hugh McElhaney and also our Hall of Fame executive producer, Dave Olson. Tune in again next time for Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.